Amen. If you have your Bibles this morning, I encourage you to open up to the book of Luke, chapter 24. For those of you who were at our sunrise service this morning, I have to apologize. I had, uh, I was planning on preaching this morning out of Luke chapter 15, uh, but really felt compelled uh, to preach again on the road to Emmaus. So uh, if you were at the sunrise service, uh, some of this is going to be review for you, uh, but that's okay because you probably forgot most of it anyway. Uh, Luke chapter 24 uh, verses 13 through 35 is where we're going to be. Luke chapter 24, verses 13 through 35. And behold, two of them were going that very day to a village named Emmaus, which was about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they came conversing with each other about all the things which had taken place. And it came about while they were conversing and discussing that Jesus himself approached and began traveling with them. But their eyes were prevented from recognizing him. And he said to them, What are these words that you're exchanging with one another as you're walking? And they stood still looking sad. And one of them, named Cleopas, answered and said to him, Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem, unaware of the things which have taken place here in these days? And they said to him, And he said to them, what things? And they said to him, The things about Jesus the Nazarene, who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word, and in the sight of God and all the people. And how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him up to the sentence of death and crucified him. We were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all this, it is, on the, it is the third day since these things have happened. And also some women among us may, amazed us when they went to the tomb early in the morning and they did not find his body. They came saying that they had seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. And some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it exactly as the women had also said. But they did not see him. And he said to them, O foolish men, slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary for the Christ to suffer these things, to enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and with all the prophets, he explained to them the things concerning himself and all the scriptures. And they approached the village where they were going, and he acted as though he would go farther. And they urged him, saying, Stay with us, for it is getting toward evening, and the day is now nearly over. And he went in to stay with them. And it came about that while he had reclined at the table with them, he took the bread and blessed it. And breaking it, he began giving it to them. And their eyes were opened. And they recognized him. And he vanished from their sight. And they said to one another, Were not our hearts burning within us while he was speaking to us on the road? While he was explaining the scriptures to us? And they arose that very hour and returned to Jerusalem and found gathered together with the eleven those who were with them saying the lord has really risen he's appeared to simon and they began to relate their experiences on the road and how he was recognized by them in the breaking of bread let's pray god may this morning may we too see jesus just as the two men on the road to emmaus saw jesus 
May we see him as the fulfillment of scripture. May we see him as king of kings and Lord of lords. May you speak to our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Who were these men? Who were these two men on the road to Emmaus? We know one's name was Cleopas. We don't know the other guy's name. But other than that, we really know very little about these two men. Uh, if, if you're like me, you, you picture these two men as, as two random people who were on a road traveling from Jerusalem to Emmaus. But the scripture gives us some indication that these weren't just two men, but that these men were, in fact, disciples of Jesus. In fact, if you look at verse 22, it says that there were some women among us. Look at verse 22. But also, some women among us, some of our women, some of your translations may say, amazed us because they brought back this report from the tomb. Remember the story of the resurrection. The women had rose early in the morning, and they had brought spices to anoint the body of Jesus. Now, now, they had gone probably before dawn to anoint the body of Jesus, and as they get there, they are, they are greeted by an empty tomb, by the stone being rolled away, and they come back, and the scripture tells us that they came back, and they reported to whom? To the disciples. And so the fact that these two men had, had the report of these women tells us that these men were, in fact, disciples of Jesus. They probably weren't Peter, James, or John. They probably weren't disciples whom we knew their names or, or, or whom were even mentioned elsewhere in Scripture. But the fact is that they heard the report from Mary, from, from, from Mary the mother of Jesus, from Mary Magdalene. They heard the report that, that Jesus is risen. They also heard the report from the other disciples, from Simon and from John, who had gone ahead to, to verify and give credibility to the report of the women. Because remember, the scripture tells us that when the women came, that they didn't believe them. And I can understand that. Sometimes the report of women are not always, are not always credible. In fact, in the ancient world, a woman was not allowed to give testimony in court. Because a woman's testimony was uncredible. Yet it's interesting that in all four of the Gospels, the first to give testimony to the resurrection of Jesus was women. So Peter and John, they go to check out this report of the women. And they come back, and these two men on the road to Emmaus are aware of Peter and John's report. So this tells us that these men were followers of of Jesus. They had heard him teach. They had seen the miracles that he had done. They were followers of Jesus. Not only were they followers of Jesus, they were aware of all of the events that had taken place. Notice what it says. Whenever this, whenever Jesus asked them, what's going on? What are you guys talking about? Notice they said, look at verse uh, 19. And he said, uh, Jesus said, what things? And they said to him, the things about Jesus the Nazarene, who was a prophet, mighty indeed, and were in sight of God and all the people. And how the chief priest had him delivered up to the sentence of death and crucified. It's very probable that these men were there in Jerusalem on the triumphal entry as on Palm Sunday, whenever Jesus rides in the cult of the donkey and they're singing Hosanna. Praise be to God. Hosanna is he who comes in the name of the Lord. He is our Messiah. Praise be to God. It's very probable that these men were there when Jesus cleanses the temple and drives them out of the, drives out the money changers. It's very probable that these men were there whenever Jesus was arrested, whenever Jesus was flogged and scourged and beaten. 
whenever Jesus was sentenced to die. And nailed to a Roman cross. It's very probable that these men were there when Jesus was taken off of that cross and laid in a tomb. Why? Because they look at this man and they say, Where have you been? What rock have you been living under that, that you haven't heard of this Jesus of Nazareth who, is, who has been killed? Not only were they aware of the events, I believe as sincere as possible, they were believers. I believe that these two men on the road to Emmaus were much like many of us. They follow Jesus. They know of all of the events. They can tell you about his death, burial, and resurrection. They can tell you chapter and verse. They can quote Bible verses. They can tell you Bible story after Bible story. And they believe that they were sincere believers. There's a passage in Scripture that is probably one of the most frightening passages in all of Scripture. Matthew chapter 7, verse 21. Jesus says this, at the conclusion of the Sermon on the Mount, he says this, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not cast out demons in your name? Did we not prophesy in your name? And did we not perform many miracles? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me. You who practice lawlessness. It's the most frightening passage in all of the New Testament. Because I believe that there are many in our churches who would receive this very same condemnation. They follow Jesus. They claim to know Jesus intimately. They're aware of all of the events. They believe that they're sincere believers. John chapter 2, we see another group of sincere believers. After the wedding feast at Cana, when Jesus turns the water into wine, verses 23 and 24. Now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover during the feast, many believed in his name, beholding the signs which he had done. They had watched Jesus turn the water into wine. They had watched Jesus do miracle after miracle. They believed that he was of God. Verse 24, but Jesus on his part was not entrusting himself to them, for he knew their heart. See, I believe that many of us today are like these two men on the road to Emmaus. We believe in Jesus, yet we've never been confronted with a resurrected Christ. And so this morning, I want to ask you very plainly, have you been confronted with a resurrected Jesus. There's a couple of characteristics that we find from these two men on the road to Emmaus that tell us they have been confronted with the resurrected Christ. And I believe those characteristics are also evidence in our lives whenever we are confronted with the resurrected Christ. Let's look at those. If you look Luke chapter 24, Luke chapter 24, verses 25, 26, and 27. Jesus says to these two men on the road to Emmaus, he says, O foolish men, 
slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken, was it not necessary for the Christ to suffer these things, to enter into glory? And beginning with Moses and with all the prophets, he explained to them the things concerning himself in the scripture. When Jesus, when the resurrected Christ confronted these men, when they were confronted with the resurrected Christ, their, their whole perception, their whole understanding changed. As we've been talking through the book of Matthew, as we've been studying the book of Matthew, we notice that the first message of John's gospel was repent. The first message of Jesus' gospel was repent. The first message of Peter's gospel in the book of Acts after the day of Pentecost was repent. And we understand that that word comes from the Greek metaneo, which means to change your way of thinking, to change your understanding, which will indeed change every other aspect of your life. And that's exactly what was going on. When these two men were confronted with a resurrected Christ, their understanding of everything changed. What does the scripture tell us? It tells us that Jesus said, don't you understand? Don't you get it? Change the way you're thinking. And he begins where? With the scriptures. He begins with the law. He begins with the prophets and began teaching and explaining to them how everything in the Old Testament was pointing toward Jesus. You remember that little clip that we watched? The Bible is not a collection of unconnected stories. But Isaac points to Jesus. The Passover lamb points to Jesus. The temple points to Jesus. Jonah points to Jesus. Job points to Jesus. Rahab points to Jesus. Every story in the Old Testament, every sacrificial system, every law, everything points to Jesus. The law, Matthew chapter 5, verse 17. We see Jesus in his Sermon on the Mount saying very clearly and very pointedly, don't think that I came to abolish the law, but that the law might be fulfilled through me. In John chapter 1, verse 29. We see the sacrificial system illustrated through Jesus whenever Jesus tops the hill and John the Baptist sees Jesus coming down the hill. He says, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus was the fulfillment of that sacrificial system. The temple. In John chapter 2, verse 18 and 19, Jesus said, this temple I will destroy and I will raise it again in three days. Jesus was the fulfillment of the law. In Luke chapter 22, as Jesus is breaking the bread and he's pouring the wine at the Last Supper, he pours the cup and he said, this is the cup of what? The new covenant. The Mosaic covenant, the Abrahamic covenant, the Davidic covenant was all fulfilled in Christ. And as he broke the bread and as he poured the wine, he said, this is the cup of the new covenant. My blood which is shed for you. Jesus changed their understanding he said the messiah is not one who is coming who is going to be king he is not one who is coming who's going to be a warrior a deliverer as you are expecting he said but my kingdom is not of this world he changed their understanding there are many things throughout scripture i'm sorry throughout history that have changed our understanding For decades, for thousands and thousands of years, the brightest minds in the world thought that the world was flat. 
until one day somebody got in a boat and sailed around it. For years and years and years, we thought that the world, that the earth, was the center of the universe. Until somebody built a telescope and we could see that, you know what, we're not. There's a whole lot more out there. For thousands and thousands of years, people thought that, that illness and sickness was, was a result of demonic oppression or, or a, a result of sin, a result of disobedience, until somebody built a microscope and we discovered bacteria and viruses. And all of a sudden, when somebody would get sick, we wouldn't, we wouldn't cut them so that they could bleed. We'd give them medicine so they could get better. Sometimes our understanding needs to be changed. And when we come in contact with a resurrected Christ, he naturally, necessarily changes our understanding. All of a sudden, that which was important to us is not, and that which is important to him becomes important to us. That which is our priority becomes secondary. The kingdom of God becomes primary. Our understanding, our perception must change. Secondly, not only was their understanding, their perception changed. Look at verse 31 of Luke chapter 24. And their eyes were opened and they recognized him. He changed what they saw. All of a sudden, they were able to see through spiritual eyes. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 18, Paul says, For the preaching of the cross is to those who are perishing foolishness. Tertullian, whenever he was writing his apology, he said this. He said, I believe because it's absurd. The word in the Greek is actually foolishness or, or, or absurdity. And Tertullian was saying, the, the reason that I believe is, is because of the very essence of his, of his foolishness, of his absurdity, that, that there's nothing that, that makes sense, and so I must believe. For the foolishness of the cross is to those who are perishing, foolishness. But to those who are being saved, it is the power of God and salvation to all who believe. In that very same book, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14, we see the natural man does not understand the things of the Spirit, for they are spiritually appraised. He cannot understand them. When they saw a resurrected Jesus, their spiritual eyes were open. When we meet Jesus, whenever we meet a resurrected Christ, all of a sudden we see things differently. Our eyes are open. James says, consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials and tribulations, knowing the testing of your faith produces endurance, and let endurance have its perfect result, that you may be complete, lacking in nothing. Before a resurrected Christ, before a confrontation with a resurrected Christ, we see hardships and trials differently than after we are confronted with a resurrected Christ. After we're confronted with a resurrected Christ, we see the role and we see the function of these trials and tribulations be to, to discipline us, to train us, to, in, to cause us to persevere that we may grow in Christ. Before a resurrected Christ, we go sit in the corner. We throw ourselves a pity party. Woe is me. Let me go eat worms. On the other side of a resurrected Christ, we're able to say with Paul, for me to live is Christ and for me to die is gain. Though he slay me, yet I will trust him as Job says. Not only does Christ change our understanding, our perception, not only does an encounter with a resurrected Christ change what we see, but notice verse 33 of Luke chapter 24. 
when we come in contact with a resurrected Christ, he changes our destination. Look at verse 33. And they arose that very hour and returned to Jerusalem. Where were they headed? The scripture tells us very clearly that they were on the road to Emmaus. And that they had, in fact, by this time, received, or I'm sorry, that they had, at that time, they had gotten to their destination. Their journey was over. But when their eyes were open, when their perspective was changed, all of a sudden, their destination was also changed. They had come in contact with the resurrected Christ, and immediately they arose and went back to Jerusalem. Why? What was in Jerusalem? The disciples were in Jerusalem. They had been promised, wait here in Jerusalem for I will send you the paraclete, I will send you the helper who will, who will train you and teach you in all things. Wait here in Jerusalem. As they came in contact with the resurrected Christ, they immediately got up and they went back to Jerusalem. Because when you were, whenever we're confronted with the resurrected Christ, our destination is necessarily changed. Immediately got up. There was an urgency about their return to Jerusalem. If you have your Bibles, flip over to Acts chapter 5. Verse 16. Peter and John had been confronted with the resurrected Christ. They had been filled with the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. Walking into the temple, they see a man standing at the gate beautiful begging. Peter and John the gold and silver have I not, but what I have I give to you in the name of Jesus. Rise and walk. They picked this man up. He began singing, dancing, praising God. So naturally, the chief priests and the elders arrest Peter and John because that's logical response for healing someone in those days. And so they arrest Peter and John. They beat them. They flog them. They throw them, they throw them into prison. And look at verse 19. I'm sorry, verse 16. Acts chapter 5, verse 16. And the people of Jerusalem, the city, the vicinity of Jerusalem, were coming together, bringing the people who were sick or afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all being healed. So it wasn't just this man outside the gate, beautiful, but it was everybody in Jerusalem. They were all being healed. And so they come upon Peter in verse 17. But the high priest rose up along with his associates and all the sect of the Sadducees, and they were filled with jealousy. Verse 18, and they laid hands on the apostles and put them in public jail. That night, the angel of the Lord came and released them. Verse 27, when they had brought them, they stood before the council and the high priest. And they said, look at verse 28. They said, we gave you strict orders... Not to continue teaching in this name. There are strict orders. I want us to notice the strict orders of the council. It wasn't to stop healing. It wasn't to stop preaching. It wasn't to stop doing benevolent things. Notice the warning. Look at verse 26. I'm sorry, verse 28. We gave you strict orders not to continue teaching in this name. Remember when they walked up to the man beautiful, the man at the gate beautiful? They said, in the name of Jesus, rise and walk. 
The world that we live in is not opposed to healing. The world that we live in is not opposed to feeding the poor, helping the indigent. The world that we live in is opposed to the same thing that the world in that day was opposed to, and that's the name of Jesus. They said, didn't we warn you not to preach anymore in this name, in this name of Jesus? And notice their response, verse 29. But Peter and the apostles answered and said, We must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom you had put to death by hanging him on a cross. He is the one whom God exalted to his right hand as a prince and savior to grant repentance to Israel for and forgiveness of sin. For we are, wit- we are a witness of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given us. They said, Whether it's right in the sight of God or men, we cannot help but speak about what we've seen and what we've heard. And whenever the people, whenever the two men on the road to Emmaus, whenever they were confronted with a resurrected Christ, they had that same response. They immediately got up and they went back to Jerusalem. And what did they do? They began to proclaim about what they had seen and heard. They immediately said, those women aren't lying. They're telling the truth. Jesus is risen. We have seen him. They were confronted with the resurrected Christ and they were compelled to tell people about what they'd seen and what they'd heard. You know, I'm convinced that most of our church members have never been confronted with the reality of a risen Savior because they're not compelled to tell people about what they've seen and they've heard. Oh, I'll I'll teach Sunday school. I'll work in vacation Bible school. I'll bake brownies for for this or for that. I'll bring a covered dish to Fifth Sunday. I'll help with whatever ministry the church is doing. Just don't ask me to tell people about Jesus. When the two men on the road to Emmaus were confronted with a resurrected Christ, immediately... They got up, and they went back to Jerusalem, and what did they do? They told the disciples, they told everybody there, we have seen Jesus, he has risen from the dead. And when Peter and John had come in contact with the resurrected Jesus, they said, beat us, throw us in prison, do what you must, but we cannot help but speak about what we've seen and we've heard. They cut off James' head. They were lighting Christians on fire and lining the streets of Rome with them. And what did they do? They said, we cannot help but speak about what we've seen and we've heard because they had come in contact. They had been confronted with a resurrected Christ. Why is the church so impotent? Because much of the church has never been confronted with a resurrected Christ. They're like these two men on the road to Emmaus. They knew all about Jesus. They were followers of him. They had heard his teachings. They were sincere, honest believers. But they had never been confronted with a resurrected Jesus. And I believe that the church, when it's confronted with a resurrected Jesus, it commands a response. It necessitates a response. He changes our understanding. He opens our eyes. He changes our destination. And we must respond we must speak about what we've seen and we've heard
So here's the question for you on this Easter Sunday morning. Have you ever been confronted with a resurrected Christ? I'm not asking if you've ever been baptized. I'm not asking if you've ever joined the church. I'm not asking if you've ever said a prayer. What I'm asking, have you ever met a resurrected Jesus? Have you ever come in contact with a Christ who has risen, who has the victory over sin, death, and the grave, and placed your trust in Him and Him alone, and lived your life in obedience to Him? If you haven't, I want to invite you to come. Come and meet Jesus. Let's pray. God, we thank you. We thank you that Jesus has risen from the dead. That the grave could not hold him. That death could not conquer him. That as he said, no man takes my life, but I lay it down. And it might be a ransom for many. Today, Jesus is risen. And he's calling you to come follow him. To walk with him. To tell others of the resurrection of Christ. If you're here this morning and you've never been confronted with a resurrected Christ, you've never placed your faith and trust in the finished work of the cross, I invite you to come this morning. You're not joining a church. You're not joining a denomination. But you're saying, I want I want to taste and see this Jesus. This Jesus who has power over sin, death, and the grave. If that's you this morning, I would invite you to come. To repent, to turn from your old understanding, turn from your old way of thinking, and come and follow Jesus. There's some of you here this morning whom God has laid upon your heart to join us here at Redeemer to proclaim the message of the cross, the message of the resurrection to a lost and dying world. Where we lift up Jesus, we live in obedience and we love the world. If that's you this morning, I want to invite you to come. Maybe this morning you simply need to come to this altar and spend some time on your face before God. As we sing this last hymn of appeal, may you be obedient to the working of the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.